And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. We don't give enough credit to signs, and we really should. That sign over there tells you great French fries. That sign over there tells you this is your exit. And look at that legendary sign. It's the Motel 6 sign. It tells you a great night's rest at a great price. Book online at motel6.com. And use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Look for the signs. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a great price when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letter CP. Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That's a great deal. And that's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley. Welcome to Mediocre Monday. Uh, Tuesday. Mediocre Tuesday. <laughs> what day is it? Man, oh man, oh man. Hey, what, Gary, a way to, how are you? what a way to start the show. Yeah. I mean, right told off you it was the mediocre. bat, you get the yeah, you, told the, you. you got I'm not the date trying. wrong. <laughs> I'm not trying. I don't even care what day it is. <laughs> I want to make this announcement. Do not be shocked and listen fully to my explanation. Yeah. I agree with Megan Rapino. Yeah, I agree with her. Yeah, Wanna, that the, she should retire. No. Oh, oh. no. It's time to get the men into women's soccer. The women aren't cutting it. So it's time for men here in the United States to be playing on the women's soccer team so they can win. Apparently, the women are <laughs> so not getting win. the job done. <laughs> well, you know, it's appropriate on Mediocre Tuesday or whatever day it is that we talk about women's <laughs> soccer. <laughs> By the way, I look forward to your email. George Nori at georgenori.com. Well, I'm trying. Well, wait a minute. Don't look at me. I didn't I didn't do anything. Uh-huh. I I simply uh, I am responding to an opinion that she holds. That's right. And I and I went into deep thought about it. I probably spent I don't know 5 or 6, I don't know, maybe uh, 10 or 15 uh, seconds on it. No. Uh-huh. And I uh, thought, well, you know, why would Megan repeat? Why would she want men to play women's? Oh, okay. Yeah. She's yeah. Tr- she's truly a winner and yeah. wants to see the team win. By the way, if people don't know that, mm. when she announced her retirement, she also at the exact same time said that biological men who believe they are women should be able to play on the U.S. women's soccer team. Mm-hmm. This is not, I didn't come up with it. As uh, As always... We are simply responding to what those on the left say. We are not initiating no. this. No, 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 no. We no. are commenting on. Listen, it. we're we're um, 
trendsetters. We're going. We're going with the flow. We're trail we're going to be Part of the yeah, blazing a trail. <laughs> That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. <laughs> it's you know because here's the thing. Now when if there's a sports commentator that you know that shouts out, "Do you believe in miracles?" You know, I, I'm thinking. Well, I don't know. Did a man give birth? Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! Did I don't? I'm just trying to be hip, kids. <laughs> I'm just trying to stay with it. Yeah, we're we're trying to learn the new ways. Yeah, we're 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 trying. Yeah, we're trying the to... modern age where where men have rights and women. Nah, you know what your place is. <laughs> Listen. You had a good run. Right. <laughs> the comedian. There's a comedian. I, I forget who it was. And he said, look, I told my two daughters they can do anything they want in life. You know, um, uh, I named them Barefoot and the other one Pregnant. And I told them, I said, listen, Barefoot and Pregnant, you can do whatever you want to do in life. And now that joke, which, God, I mean, pretty good laughs and and a lot of whoa that's tame mm-hmm. compared to where we are in reality now well when you think about it according to the uh, again i these are not i want to make this clear these are not original thoughts that came from me again responding to the left but since men now can get pregnant we don't need women anymore we no we don't we don't no you know, we don't need women's sports anymore. Men can take care of it. That is the the new uh, uh, diversity and equity mindset that exists today in the United States. It's the new way of thinking. It's the progressive way of thinking. Everybody come aboard. You know, it's not a drill sergeant that's saying the words... We're going to make a man out of you yet. It's a it's a surgeon now. <laughs> Just make it up as we go along. Yeah, it's. um. <laughs> Listen, do they want to win or not? That's the question. <laughs> I, I, look, I don't care about soccer to begin with. I mean, it's yeah. just, you know, if, if you, if, you know, it. it Arguing about what sports you like is like arguing about music, right? It's it's yeah. it's, it's a exercise in futility. Yeah, I actually but, paid hard earned money for Kiss albums. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. I was ten. Well, there are exceptions. I was to the ten, well, I don't know. and I shouldn't have had any money of my own. If you would, right? have, been, if you would have been eight, maybe that would have been acceptable. <laughs> ten, I don't know. Actually, in seventy four, I was eight, but I didn't buy the album then. Yeah, about it in seventy. I, well, about it at seven in seventy five. I was at, nine. At ten years old, you're a Cub Scout and probably a Weeblo, and you should know that. Mm, yeah, That's nine. I was history. a Weeblo. Yeah. Oh, you. Oh, wow. Yeah. You, oh, you moved up quickly then. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Now the next question: Where is this conversation going? <laughs> well, I tell you where it's not going. <laughs> in the. In the Radio Hall of Fame. <laughs> it's not going there. <laughs> Should we carve this one out and put it up next to their trophy when we induct them? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. Uh, 
My, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. It's, uh, but, but you think about it, the things that we just said are completely and totally ridiculous, but that is actually where the left is going. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, we're is. not exaggerating. No, we're not really. No, I mean. That, that's, that's the funny. The, that's where the humor comes in because humor, I, I've always looked at comedians and say, well, you know, humor is an exaggeration of what somebody does. Well, the Babylon Bee has proven no. It's the humor is what people actually do. Well, you know, um, go yeah. ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, if if you look at the civil rights movement, uh, and then what the left has done in recent years, they clearly want to undo the civil rights movement. I think they're tired of of pretending that they care. I think they want to put it to bed completely. Well, I, I think they I think they really want to want to move on for this pretending they care. Because my question on, on things like reparations, well what then are you saying let's say it happened, right? Let's say it started in California, the big one, the statewide, not not just San Francisco. Let's say it happened. Okay, then what? Are you saying from that point on there will be no more injustices based? Are you? Is that your claim? Is no, that everything well, is over? No, that's just the beginning because that's what critical race theory is about. Critical race theory is, again, the belief that whites are culturally racist and always will be. So you have to set up society that way so reparations would be number one remember what they were talking about remember in reparations the things that they were 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 uh were, were talking about mm-hmm. not having to pay taxes mm-hmm. for 250 years mm-hmm. hun- you know hun- some even hundreds of millions of dollars tens of millions of dollars free homes free this i mean things that are absolutely delusional but would go on year in and and uh and and year out but when you say that though uh, about the fact that they don't believe in civil rights, I would ask the question, and 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 I would say, is the support, is the idea that supports what you said, uh, identity politics, which is we judge everybody by groups. That's the one thing that's never examined in our society, and it's right out there. It's absolutely as blunt well it's proudly promoted by the it, left. it's proudly promoted by the left they have discussed it now they know there are people inside the democratic party that said we can't continue to do this but we have stated the the most uh, the most underreported story in the united states as every single day you will see some democrats somewhere say anything that republicans do are racist yet they bluntly promote Identity politics, which is we judge people by the group that you're in, by physical characteristics, not as an autonomous human being and not by the content of your particular character. And that, I think, is the most amazing thing, how blunt they are in their racism. Yet, and and, and we have talked about the Republican Party. This is one place where you have to attack consistently and explain it like we do. If you judge people by groups... And not individuals. Why can't I call you a racist when stereotyping people is exactly where racism comes from? And, you know, this when when you think about the entire Civil Rights Act. Creating protected classes. Well, 
now you want to, you know, with reparations, you're using the wrong word. That's not reparations. If you want to say with women's rights, Title IX is going to men. Well, yeah. And what it gets down to is <laughs> if anyone can claim they belong to a protected class simply by saying so, then there are no protected classes. And that's the reason they can't get reparations done. Because imagine what happens after that. Imagine they vote in California and, and you're on your way. Well, wait a minute. Um, what about this other minority group? What about other individuals who also have been treated unfairly by this is the state of California we're talking about? Look at all the claims that would come in. Well, you can't possibly cover all of that. And it really is like they just want to put it behind them. Well, I do think that reparations, and I, I do think this is one thing, no kidding here. I, I really believe when you look at you know where we are in society today and the political parties and you look at the Democrats that support identity politics and support the reparations, I do believe it's what we have said here for the last couple of decades. It's because they feel guilt. They, ju- they right. do judge people right. by groups. The right. reason that identity politics right. is mainstream in the Democratic Party is because they know, they believe they're racist. And if they're racist, they believe that, of course, the opposition against them must be racist, too. Because I do think the initial thing that people think is when you think a certain way, you think that other people think a certain way. And that is way far from the truth, mm-hmm. as, as we have found out being talk show hosts. And I do think that the left, there's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of self-guilt yeah, That's it. that they are bigoted. And so that's why they practice identity politics, but at the same time accuse the opposition that disagrees with them when the opposition is saying, no, we believe in autonomy, which is why now they've evolved into the fact that if you believe in autonomy and you judge a person by their individual characteristics and their character and as an individual and not a group, that is now under critical race theory, that is viewed as racist. Right. And so looking and judging somebody as autonom- as an autonomous life force themselves is now racist, which is the furthest you could possibly get from racism. But they're doing these mental gymnastics because in their head, when you feel guilt, when you feel the guilt that apparently they feel, right. who knows you know, where, where that takes your mind. Because I do believe that they believe in their mind they could put things behind them. They can make these monster moves, these massive moves, and then stand on it like some kind of victory of their own. Right. It's, when it's only the beginning. I believe it's their virtue signaling because you say virtue. We talk about virtue signaling, but I think in many instances, virtue signaling is to mask their guilt. Right. And and the way that they have behaved and continue to behave today. They, yeah. they promote it proudly. They do. That's the thing. It's not even hidden. Mm-hmm. 866-90-RED-EYE. Keep your engine humming in the heat this summer by keeping up with preventive maintenance. Think your PM is complete after your oil is changed? Think again. There's grease, transmission fluids, and gear oil to consider, too. Grease, for example, is made of oil, thickener, and additives. 
It provides rust protection by preventing water spray off and wash off on equipment like the universal joint, fifth wheel, and clutch throwout bearings. It also helps protect major greasing points like tie rod ends, spring pin bushings, king pin, and the chassis. Today's synthetic oils means more miles between engine oil changes, but greasing intervals aren't growing at the same pace. Your fifth wheel, for example, needs to be greased every 15,000 miles or monthly. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Hurley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up on the show today, we got the, so much new poll out. Most Americans think Trump indictments are effort to derail campaign. I know I was looking at uh, uh, Newsbusters yesterday. I'm doing this from memory, and I I think I think our friend Kevin Tober wrote the article uh, on uh, the fact that uh, not one of the Sunday morning news shows. Uh, brought up the Devin Archer testimony. Mm. When you think about how incredible that is. Yeah. And we've talked about it before that, you know, even up to when we talk about the election of 2022 and people would say, well, you can't get through because the mainstream media censors everything. Well, you can get through. Yeah. And you are getting through because the mainstream media, especially the networks, aren't nearly as powerful as they used to be and don't have the clout that they uh, that they used to have. And if you look at it, if you look at this latest one, I mean, you've got uh, almost 60 percent of uh, Americans believe that uh, the Trump indictments are an effort, effort to derail the campaign. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. When you think about it, that that that, you know, that's where and those numbers are almost the exact same that believe that Biden. You know, broke the law. Yeah, that that, right. you know, the one that we came out with uh, last week and, and the, the, that's polling that was done beginning of July and that could have changed. Uh, by now, but we'll get to some of the specifics of it. Hmm. Also, uh, the Ninth Circuit, uh, uh, Ninth Cir- excuse me, a Ninth Circuit panel says knives are arms protected by the Second Amendment. And I'm thinking there was a question on that. <laughs> really? Of course they are. And this is uh, this is uh, 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 a shot against uh, Hawaii, which was banning hmm. certain type of knives. Right. Said, nope, sorry, you can't do that. They're covered. Under the Second Amendment, so we will get uh, to uh, that. Well, you've got the Republican candidates going uh, uh, back and forth. We'll tell you about the think tanks that filed suit to block the Biden administration's plan to cancel $39 billion uh, in uh, student loans. You had another federal judge talk about the Second Amendment, and we knew this would happen in Colorado blocks the law raising age requirement for gun purchases. We told you there would be a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah, there's and, you know, but it's not going to stop the left. They're going to, you know, they're going to keep trying on the gun grabbing angle, everything that they can. What's funny is, is that, you know, that move, the the, the taxes on on guns uh, uh, that they wanted to uh, uh, the excise tax that they wanted to impose a thousand. Yeah. Percent. Yeah. It's it's from a Chris Rock bit. 
charge five thousand oh, dollars yeah, per for, bullet. For a bullet, yeah, I remember yeah. that bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're. They, they, yeah, they've right. run out of stuff, so they've gone to Chris. They've Rock. gone to Chris Rock material <laughs> from years ago. <laughs> it's like a fifteen year old bit. I mean, it's it's really yes, old. Yes, it is old. I yeah. remember that bit. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, oh, what else can we do? I was watching <laughs> some old, really old Chris Rock. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's the play. You know, they've run out of every angle because the Supreme Court keeps shutting them down, and rightly so. What do you got? You got anything? Uh, you can't use Bill Burr. Hey, didn't Chris Rock say something about guns yeah. that went away right. back? Yeah. <laughs> And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. You know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. hours a night and still not enough listen to our podcast available on the app and on our website red i radio show.com and he's eric Hardy and i'm gary mcnamara 86690 uh red eye just uh, want to play a couple of audio cuts this is this is heartbreaking yesterday and uh, this happened in california representative daryl i said uh set up a uh, form for gold star families to come up and uh, those who lost their sons and daughters uh, in Afghanistan uh, on that horrible day uh, a couple of years ago. 
uh, were brought up to speak on it, and many of them, the anger that they have towards the administration was plain for all to see and hear. This is Darren Hoover, uh, father of fallen Marine Staff Sergeant Darren uh, Taylor Hoover, Jr., uh, goes after Biden and his administration for the botched Afghanistan withdrawal. In closing, I'm calling out Secretary Blinken, Secretary Austin, General Milley, General McKenzie, Lieutenant Colonel Whited, who could not give the order to the snipers to take out the bomber before he detonated his vest, and ultimately the president. Do what our son did. Be a grown-ass man. Admit to your mistakes. Learn from them so that this doesn't happen ever, ever again. You all need to resign immediately. Our sons and daughters have more integrity in their little toes than every one of them combined. You owe it to our families here today, to the other gold and silver star families that have gone before, and most of all to the veterans who have given so much for this country so that we have the freedoms that we enjoy today. Thank you. Uh, Darren uh, uh, Hoover there, you know, you, you and I have, you know, we spent a lot of time. And, um, you know, we we have, you know, what happened at, at that time when you had Biden just turning around and walking away, not answering any questions, when we know that he lied about what his military officers told him and he lied to the American public uh, about uh, the withdrawal, and we didn't find it out officially. We knew it. We said he had lied early on, but then it was verified when the generals testified. When when this oath. top guy stepped down before the job was over, that said a lot. And then we learned, we were, it, it, it was confirmed later what was going on. The president was lying throughout that entire chain of events in the months leading up to that day. He lied to the American people here at home. He lied to the Americans that were living in Afghanistan. He was giving them a false sense of security. And remember saying, well, the Taliban is not a threat. The Taliban is not a threat. And he wanted the uh, then president of Afghanistan to get on board with saying everything is fine. Everything is under control. Everything is fine. And then Americans were there. And, of course, they didn't have the proper information. The Taliban was going to take control, and they did. And that was always going to be the case. And lying to the American people and not allowing for our forces to do what they're trained to do and what was necessary, should have been necessary on that day to save lives is mind-boggling. It's reprehensible. But I remember the, the day in Parliament in the U.K. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't know how many members of parliament spoke on that day, but they talked about it. Those are our those those are our friends. Those are our allies. And we were in charge of all the forces there. We were the ones giving cover to everybody else. And with their help, we were able to maintain peace and keep the Taliban at bay. That botched exit goes beyond. I mean, botched exit doesn't even start to cover it because the string of lies told to everyone in the equation. Most importantly, those on the ground. Is reprehensible and 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 what you heard is correct. They should all have long ago stepped down. This is Cheryl Rex, mother of fallen Marine Lance Corporal Dylan Marola. When Joe Biden, our elected president, entered the room, when he approached me, his words to me were, "My my wife Jill and I know how you feel. We lost our son as well, and brought him home in a flag-draped coffin." My heart started beating faster, and I started shaking, knowing that their son died from cancer and they were able to be by his side. Also wondering how someone could honestly, sorry, be so heartless to say he knew how I felt a little over 24 hours and learning of my son's death. After this encounter, I have never had any personal correspondence nor has my son been honored or his name spoken by this commander-in-chief or his administration. And it uh, went on for a while yesterday. I think it went on for a, a couple of hours. And it was just, you know, it was heartbreaking, infuriating. You know, the, I mean, the emotions that I know that I went through watching it, you know, sort of brings me back, you know, to that time when it happened. And the, the the anger that we had, knowing that the president was lying about everything. Yeah. It, and, I mean, it was just an and You know, you, you think about it. I mean, that did affect the American public. You think about it. That's when the fall yeah. in his polling numbers just cratered, if you remember right. that. Right. But uh, to watch that, you know, yesterday was just. It's it's heartbreak it heartbreaking uh, uh, for the parents. Let's uh, play one more. Christy Shamblin, uh, mother-in-law of U.S. Uh, Marine Nicole G, who was killed in the Afghanistan uh, withdrawal in that bombing that day. When our leaders, including the Secretary of Defense and our Commander in Chief call this evacuation a success as if there should be celebration. It is like a knife in the heart for our families and for the people who came back and for every service member that served over this 20-year war. I live every single day knowing that these deaths were preventable. My daughter could be with us today. And that wasn't just one decision. It was many decisions. Many times over, it could have been stopped. So to call it a success is an ultimate disrespect. 
Yeah, it was uh, tough to uh, to relive that. But uh, as we have stated the other day, not only you know, not only the lies uh, about that, you know, actually, and and you know that in a way I'd never seen that happen before, where you had a president come out and lie about what the generals mm. told him. Yeah. And we called him on it then, and we, of course we were criticized for it, but we ended up being correct on it because we don't jump the gun on anything. And so we knew the evidence existed there, and then when the generals testified, they you know, all talked about the fact that, no, the advice was not to leave. But the way that they uh, left, in, uh, and we had played, I know, a, a, a one of the uh, soldiers who was there that day talking about it that they had spotted they knew who the bomber was Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and had a shot and couldn't take the shot they couldn't get the chain of command to agree on anything there and the the sad part of it was the lives and safety and security of and you can you can look at it you can say of the of those that were trying to get out that you know those trying to get out were of every nationality, including Afghans, and that's heartbreaking. But the fact is there were soldiers, American soldiers, in the middle of that, and we did not protect American soldiers. No. The, the no, military... We, we, did, the, we, didn't do, we, we didn't do because they weren't allowed to. They couldn't do the very basic job that they had been trained to do. And it's it's reprehensible. And then Blinken in the days and weeks after, just absolutely clueless or a liar, one of the two, about the whole thing. And it's over and over again. Insult on the injury of the, the families of the fallen and all of those who are still every single day dealing with this as Afghanistan is now on its way to becoming a, a super a super state when it comes to terrorism. That's exactly what it is. We've set up the conditions in Afghanistan, and this administration knows it. It's only a matter of time. And that's where the president and his turnaround when there were serious questions about what happened, Mm -hmm. knowing that he had lied, knowing that these soldiers loss of life didn't have to happen. And he would just turn around and walk away from the American public when he's commander in chief. And, you know, you sit there and you look at the, the military, well, we're having problems, you know, we're having problems, you know, uh, you know, uh, making our quota for Mm -hmm. recruitment. Well, no blank Sherlock. Yeah. The hell do you expect's going to happen? It's the same thing as police officers, right? Leaving, you know, leaving these Democrat cities. What do you think? You're, if you you're, think leadership is going to absolutely tie your hands, then you can't serve. You feel like you can't serve, right? And nobody will have your back. The people that are supposed to have your back don't have your back. Who's going to work in any organization where you know going in? That's what you're going to confront. And this is the abomination of this administration here when it comes to, you know, destroying our, slowly destroying our military readiness. Yeah. 
day yeah. in and day out. It's yeah. happening from yeah. the wokeness of the military that they seem to be concerned about instead of, you know, doing the right thing, being honest with the American people, being honest with our with our allies about what you want and not let some bumbling fool dictate American foreign policy. And that's exactly what happened. And it was yep. a disaster. And as you said, is has created and will continue to create a terrorist haven yeah. and a terrorist superpower uh, over there. And it's just, it's just, it's tough watching that yesterday. Very tough watching Yeah, it that. was. 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Well, uh, New York Times did a poll on Biden's popularity. You ready? Okay. Well, approval rating. Okay. All, right. All right. Here we go. The one indicator that's not changed is his approval rating, and in fact, his his competitive uh, you know status against Donald Trump if he's a Republican nominee. Our poll that was Siena College last week found that uh, President's still at that 39 percent approval rating. I think the average on 538 is around 41 percent. That's the lowest of any president at this stage, going back to the history of polling, except for Jimmy Carter. That didn't work out well for him. Hmm. Wow. Uh, and it was the talk of CNN also mm. yesterday. Let's mm-hmm. play this. Right. I have something. Here's 30 points from where he, he was during an election day in 2020 to 2020 to where they are now. Yes. Which is remarkable. I mean, that really shows all the gains that uh, they need to make. I- she seemed like she was almost about to cry. <laughs> I, 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 I was wondering, <laughs> wait a minute, is... Does she need a drink of water? Yeah, I think she needed a drink of water, but it yeah. did sound like if you just listen to the Sounds audio. It like she was going to break up for a minute. I was watching the video, and it, it, it yeah. didn't seem like she was. But when you, when you just listen to it, you're like, is she crying? Is she down 30 points from where he was on election day? It just can't <laughs> go any lower. Please, no. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we will get to, to uh, that in a little bit. A couple other polls. Uh, also uh, out there. And what else? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, going after the student loans again. Uh, a couple of think tanks uh, filing suit uh, on it. be interesting to see what, you know, how they're trying to reverse uh, uh, this one. Mm. And the latest poll, Amer- most Americans think the Trump indictments are an effort to derail the campaign. That and more on the way. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. America starts the day with America in the morning. Pending home sales numbers, they tanked in April, but there Hi, are Hi, I'm two John Trout, your host for the latest news, politics, entertainment, business, and weather. The octane action in the dust, a new film puts... Our staff of correspondents provide a fast-paced look at the world with specialized reports from where news happens. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Amazon. Concise, accurate, and fresh each day. America in the Morning, the podcast, available wherever you listen. 
Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Former NCAA Division I athletes Riley Gaines and Paula Scanlon were among those that were targeted by hostile protesters. That's in quotes. That was uh, one of them said that, so that's why it's in quotes. That gathered in Texas on Monday in opposition to the Save Women's Sports Act. Texas Governor Greg Abbott was joined by Gaines and Scanlon at the Texas Women's Hall of Fame at Texas Women's University in Denton, Texas. That's just north of where we broadcast from for a ceremonial signing of the bill, which was previously signed into law in June. But according to those in attendance, protesters that gathered at the event threw items and spat at those who gathered in support of the legislation. Independent Women's Network uh, Austin uh, Chapter Michelle Evans told Fox News after the event that she was assaulted when she left the building to observe the protest which she estimated to be a crowd of around 250. It was, I guess, the best word to describe them uh, would be rabid. Mm. Uh, When I turned around to go back inside the building, that's when somebody threw water on me, Evans recalled. Somebody told me they know where I effing live. Wow. There was somebody that got in front of me to try to physically block me from going back inside and pushed her body up against mine. Somebody hit my arm, and then someone, a woman in a pink mask and sunglasses spit into my open eye evans said a suspect was apprehended she told law enforcement that she wanted to press charges and was told by police the subject would be or excuse me the suspect would be issued a ticket for misdemeanor uh, assault a public information officer with the texas women's university police department told fox news digital that one suspect was apprehended and issued a citation for misdemeanor assault, specific details surrounding the alleged assault not immediately known. Evans said she was most alarmed by the treatment of young girls who had attended that signing. As they were being walked out by their mothers, there was a police officer in front and in back of them, and protesters were getting in the kids' faces and screaming and harassing them, frightening them. It was absolutely out of control, hmm. uh, she said. In a statement to Fox News Digital, Gaines also shared her observation of the protest. Even in the great state of Texas, protesters have tried to find a way to smear the celebration of Governor Abbott signing SB 15, which protects female college athletics, but they can't, Gaines, uh, 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 you know, uh, said, told Fox News Digital. 
uh, in a uh, in, in a statement. Um, Today is a huge win, and Governor Abbott's leadership is foundational. And I'm hope uh, hopeful more states will follow. Speaking of the protest, gains continued. Bottles are being thrown. Protesters are spitting in people's faces. Profanity is being yelled at children. Law enforcement has stepped in and provided protection. Former University of of Pennsylvania swimmer Paula Scanlon shared on social media that protesters blocked the exits and were spitting and yelling. Craziness of today aside, I was finally able to exit the event safely, (laughs) she said on X. (laughs) (laughs) The company formerly known as Twitter. Although crowds of uh, people may call us names, we prevailed in the state of Texas. Our work is not finished, and I hope states will follow in the footsteps of Texas. Understand that when people hold insane ideas and are passionate about it, you know, you need to make sure that you protect yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these um, are insane ideas. They're willing to to resort to violence. They've proven it time and time again. They proved it again at Texas Woman's University yesterday. And I, you know, it's it's not going to stop. They're not going to change their behavior. This is who they are. I know where you blanking live. Mm Mm-hmm. This is what they'll do. The angry mob will come after you. There were children there as young as five years old. The mob didn't care. Anybody going in to be a part of this signing, this ceremony, was going to be targeted. That's the left for you. Yeah, this is where they are. Lee University volleyball player Macy Petty, who was also in attendance, said that they were extremely hostile and uh, and uh, and shared some of what was allegedly shouted at them. Videos shared with Fox News Digital showed protesters screaming trans rights or human rights. Another clip showed protesters getting in the face of young girls as they were escorted mm. outside. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as she wrote, Macy Petty, update, they are extremely hostile and spitting on people. We are finding a safe exit. Please join us in praying for these individuals that they find hope in Jesus Christ. Love does not have to be this way. Not scared, just don't feel like getting spit on. We will not be silent. And then she wrote, you know, some of the things that were being yelled at her, quote, racist, sexist, anti-trans, you have blood on your hands. That's a quote. And then mm-hmm. she responds, simply female athletes asking for our own spaces. Mm-hmm. Governor Abbott was asked about the uh, the protest at the end of Monday's event. He goes, I wish they could have peacefully heard what Paula and Riley had to say. Any reasonable people would agree. Understand, these aren't reasonable people. No, 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 no. No, they believe these tactics are winning for them. Yes. And the more uh, Riley gains we have, the more women we have standing up for women's sports, the louder... They're going to be. This is the mob. They're not going to stand down. They're not going away because they've been given this blank check by the left. They've been given the environment in which they can thrive over and over again. 
They can control anything by using these tactics. That's what they believe. SB 15 follows a similar piece of legislation Abbott signed in 2021 that requires public school teams through high school in the state of Texas be designated by the students' sex assigned at birth. That's it. Yeah, right. Uh, Evans told Fox News Digital that SB 15 is a positive sign towards ensuring women's rights, but added that greater action is needed. We're going in the right direction. We're just going far too slowly. Last week, the governor of Oklahoma signed an executive order to uh, make effective a women's bill of rights in that state. That's absolutely what we need in the state of Texas and across the United States, making it very clear what the definitions of women and man are in language and in law to protect women's sex-based rights and protection. Sports is the tip of the iceberg, but the iceberg is much bigger than that uh, than people are giving it uh, uh, credit for. So, uh, you know, that happened yesterday just north of where we broadcast. Right? Yep. Well, a couple of miles north. And it's 40 yeah. miles maybe? It's, got a, uh, it's, uh, it's good. The drive is about 20, 25 minutes. Okay. All right. So uh, Texas miles. Women's University sits on uh, 380. Uh it's in Denton County, um, and it's, you know, if you go up there, there are a lot of small towns up there. I mean, very small towns up in that area. So these protesters you see, by and large, are from the university. They're, they're students. They may have come over from uh, UNT, which is another university in, in Denton County. But Denton County is is uh decidedly red i mean it is red red but of course i think the the governor knew that there was going to be protests on any campus uh that you go to these days uh there's there's likely going to be some protests but you bring along riley Gaines, and of course you know the protesters have to come out there they feel they're obligated the mob is going to show up they believe these tactics are working for them and politically they're not and and I like the 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 female athletes that are making it clear, saying this is just the beginning. We're not they're not getting rid of us. Right. We're not we're not shutting up. That's that's what you need to be doing because they they are not going to shut up. They're not going to stop with their their threats. And you have to stay strong in this. But uh, I I think that every time that they do this, uh, and you know, look, if people are going to do what they're going to do. But even yesterday is another example of the insanity of people that hold insane views. You've got to watch. Yep. Yep. Because these views are as radical and insane as you can get. Denying scientific genetics is what they're doing. Yep. It's it's like if you had the flat earth people out there. Well, if you can, yeah, and if you can deny the reality, then you can just write the the rules as as you go along, right? And that's that's why it's such an important issue because they wish to intimidate you. They don't wish to convince you. They wish you to intimidate. Understand where this has gone already. They wish to intimidate you. Where if you do not speak the right way, you will be punished even up to the point uh, of being punished in the criminal justice system for not speaking the right language. 
Yeah. And yeah. as as we know, this is where they're going. We're not making anything up here. No. We've seen no. where the movement has gone in Canada, where people have been jailed. Most people know the story of Jordan Peterson, who in Canada has been you know, threatened. And in many of the provinces up there, you either use the right pronoun or you have committed a criminal act. Yep. Well, that's where we in the United States say, no, it stops there. Yep. You can hold whatever opinion you wish to hold. You can't make me, and you won't make me. And and you won't make these women athletes now back off because you're attempting to intimidate them by saying, and this is what happened with the whole Leah Thomas situation. Mm. These women were threatened. Yeah, They were threatened with their lives being destroyed, their scholarships, their ability to get work afterwards. Right. They were threatened consistently. Yep. We'll get you canceled for life. We'll shut it down. Whatever you try to do, we'll be there and we'll shut it down. This is the mob. And if you believe they're done, they're not even close to being done. No, they're they not. They think they're winning. 866-90-RED-EYE. Surviving and thriving as an owner-operator has just as much to do with managing costs as it does with generating revenue. Understanding basic principles of operating costs can save you thousands of dollars a year. Costs are not the same each month. If 9,600 miles are driven one month and 10,000 miles the next, two different sets of costs apply for each month. For example, if your tractor payment is $1,850 per month and you drive 9,600 miles in the month, your tractor payment is costing you 19.3 cents per mile. Drive 10,000 miles, though, and that same payment will cost you 18.5 cents per mile. This is one of your major fixed costs while paying off a truck loan. The difference in this example is only a fraction of a cent, which may seem like small change, but it ultimately amounts to $960 more annually on the bottom line. Because though fixed costs do not go down over time, you can reduce your cost per mile with more paid miles. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella with advanced synthetic technology. For more information, go to OverdriveOnline.com to the Overdrive's Partners in Business section of the website. For more detail on Business 101 and many other topics. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. New polling out. Most Americans, including three in ten Democrats, think that the trio of indictments against former President Donald Trump are, quote, an attempt to stop his 2024 presidential campaign, according to a CBS YouGov poll. The poll released Sunday asked respondents about how they perceive the indictments and investigations against Trump. When asked if they feel it is an attempt to stop Trump's 2024 campaign, 59% of respondents said yes, 
41% said no. A deeper look shows that 31% of Democrats and 63% of independents believe the indictments and investigations against Trump are an effort uh, to hinder his campaign, and 86% of Republicans feel the same way. How many of those 31% of Democrats are in favor of the indictments hindering the campaign? They like the idea. Um, don't know if they have that in there mm. here. Uh, see. Okay, don't have it specifically broken down yeah. for that. So. Yeah. So I was just going through it, so that's... Because there's no way to say that it's not, but I could see a number of people on the far left. I don't know if it's 31% of Democrats, but I would be um, curious to see how many look at it and say, no, we're okay with this tactic. If it works, especially. If it keeps him from being president again, we're okay with it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there are. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've talked about this before when you don't. When you don't care about the Constitution to begin with, and as we know, the majority of people that call themselves liberals do not believe in the First Amendment under this current Constitution that we have. They believe in their own type of freedom of speech, but they don't believe in freedom of speech in the First Amendment that we have here in the United States. Mm -hmm. We know they don't believe in Second Amendment. I wish they would break down the numbers of the people that don't know the three branches of government. Oh, yeah. But when when you see where we have over the last, you know, 30 years talked about judicial activism, Mm. which means you don't interpret the law, you make law. That's the whole living, breathing Constitution. And that's why the justices need to make law, because the Constitution is living and breathing. By the way, that's the dumbest thing ever said. Yeah, yeah. Living and breathing. It's living and breathing, and therefore living and breathing people uh, that are uh, Supreme Court justices should be able to change it. You know, for the time that we are uh, that we are in, which means you can do whatever the hell you want as a judge. Yeah, exactly. And and if you don't believe that judges are there to interpret, then you don't believe in the three branches of government. You don't believe in the separation of powers which is absolutely the core of the Constitution of the United States. The three branches of government, the separation of powers, ensures that power will not be concentrated in one area. I learned that in elementary school. Mm -hmm. And we know that the majority of Americans still today do not even know what the three branches of government are. So they don't if you don't know what they are, you don't understand their purpose. And that's a problem. And when you look at things like, the uh, the constitutional republic that we are in with the bicameral legislature of having the House and then the Senate of having two senators, which Democrats want gone. They want that gone. They want the Electoral College gone. They don't either want to acknowledge um, or they just don't believe, you know, or understand why that took place and why so many democracies have that bicameral legislature. So all areas 
of a country feel that they are represented. It's a much better way not to have a civil war if people believe they have a say through their elected representatives. Fourth Branch of Government, Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Uh, Welcome to the show. Download our Red Eye Radio app today and listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. All right, Ninth Circuit panel, Hmm. a three-judge panel from the U.S. State Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit reversed a district court decision uh, upholding uh, Hawaii's ban on butterfly knives on Monday, noting that bladed weapons constitute arms within the meaning of the Second Amendment. The case of Teeter versus Lopez was brought by two law-abiding citizens, Andred Teeter and James Grell, who wanted to carry butterfly knives for self-defense. Judge Alan Kay of the United States District Court for the District of Hawaii ruled in favor of the prohibition against butterflies, and the case was appealed to the Ninth Circuit. Judge B wrote the majority opinion for the Ninth Circuit panel, noting, like firearms, bladed weapons fit the general definition of arms as weapons of offense that may be used in wrath to cast at or strike another. Hmm. Moreover, uh... Contemporaneous sources confirm that at the time of the adoption of the Second Amendment, the term arms was understood as generally extending to bladed weapons. I would assume so. Yeah. Back then. Sure. He added, because the plain text of the Second Amendment includes bladed weapons and by necessity, Butterfly lives, the, the knives, excuse me, the Constitution guarantees keeping and bearing such instruments for self-defense. Bia observed, Judge Bia, that Hawaii attempted to find butterfly knives as dangerous and unusual weapons in hopes of finding wiggle room for a ban against the knives via Heller in 2008. But Bia rejected that claim, explaining... To determine whether a weapon is dangerous and unusual. Dangerous and unusual. I love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, to the left, anything is dangerous that you put in your hand. Wait, your hand is dangerous. (laughs) To determine whether a weapon is dangerous and unusual, we consider whether the weapon has uniquely dangerous propensities and whether the weapon is commonly possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purpose. The record does not support a conclusion that the butterfly knife 
has uniquely dangerous propensities. The butterfly knife is simply a pocket knife with an extra rotating handle. Oh, God. Well, and, you know, that's it. I would say if there's any danger, it's to someone who has never owned one trying to use one and use that split handle. I would uh, I would advise that you you cover the blade if you're trying to get used to handling a butterfly knife, but it doesn't make the the weapon especially dangerous. It still is one blade. My kitchen knives are dangerous. I've got a, one of those you know everybody had that everybody has the big <laughs> chef's knife. <laughs> Same with me. I've got this whole. I don't know, display of knives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whenever I whenever I pick up, an, if I'm walking anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, I, that knife is being held out farthest away from my body that if, if something happens, I drop it, you know. And, but I'm always looking for the cat. It's like, oh, my well, gosh. And I'm like, my kitchen knives are uniquely dangerous. That's why I started laughing I, yeah, when I said yeah, that. That's, yeah. I um, That big chef's knife, if I use oh. it, I will clean it, dry it, and, and put it back in... In, in the in the wood block. I won't leave it laying in the sink because I have grandkids that come over. My grandkids likely are not going to be any any danger, but it's like, yeah, why risk it? That's it's it's especially sharp. Remember it was on the uh X, the mm. social media site formerly known as Twitter. Mm-hmm. Remember the police department in Great Britain? Oh, yeah. That had confiscated all these weapons? Yeah. Screwdrivers. There's like, I mean, it was. Yeah. You look hammers. at it. You look, it was screwdrivers, hammers, whatever. And they had, the police department actually promoted the fact that they were taking dangerous weapons off the street. And it looked like something that I would find. It looked like a bunch of tools that I would find when I was a machinist and had my own toolbox. Yeah, Looking at it, right. it's like. Where's the dangerous one? Oh, okay. What you're saying is anything can be dangerous if used improperly. How about a brick or a rock or a fist? Yep. And, but this is the left wanting to, you know, oh my gosh. This could have gone badly. Look at all these weapons. (gasps) I can't believe anybody has them in their home. Meanwhile, figured this would happen. A federal judge in Colorado on Monday temporarily blocked a state law that raised the legal age requirement for purchasing a firearm to 21. Chief U.S. District Judge Philip Brimmer ruled in favor of a gun rights group, the Rocky Mountain Gun Owners, who had filed a lawsuit against the governor. The state law was one of several sweeping gun reform measures approved by the state legislature and signed by the governor in the spring. It sought to prohibit people under the age of 21 from purchasing a gun with exceptions for active members of the U.S. Armed Forces, peace officers, and people certified by the Peace Officer Standards and Training Board. Uh, The gun organization argued in their lawsuit that the law was unconstitutional. The group said that if people are allowed to vote when they turn 18, they should be allowed to purchase a gun. Since the day the legislation was introduced, we knew it was unconstitutional, said the gun rights group. 
under the Golden Dome at the unveiling of this proposal. Uh, Our group warned that the bill's sponsors would be quickly struck down by a federal judge. Today, our crystal ball became a reality. Uh, I wasn't there a another federal judge or wasn't an appeals court in the last month that said they can't there was a law that did this from 18 to 21 and they said no also I don't know if that's the precedent this judge is is using but you know there comes to a somebody was saying one time that we should not let people have guns till 25 we said well that that you definitely can't do mm-hmm. and there still is a debate when do you become a full adult in our society is it 18 is it 21 right i mean if you can if you're using their argument if you can vote at 21 then you should be excuse me if you can vote at 18 you should be able to drink at 18 Mm -hmm. but it all gets down is when do you become an adult with all the rights that adults have in our society right is it 18 or, or is it 21 it seems that the federal courts are looking at 18 as that number. Yeah, it would appear uh, based on their actions. And, you know, you uh, again, you do. You look at that and uh, you there is no doubt that when you're 18 or over that if you commit a heinous crime, you're going to be tried as an adult. You're going to be. Yes, exactly. You'd be tried as an adult. You know, sometimes it varies if, if it's a younger age, but at 18, it's always the case and so you look at that and say all right then if we're going to do that uh if we're going to as a society uh, uh decide that 18 is that line and we have on i don't know how many fronts then of course it applies to gun ownership you may not like it look as a parent and grandparent, it makes me very nervous that teenagers can drive. But they have to learn. And you do everything to make sure that they're educated so that they're careful in that process. Yeah. Same goes for gun ownership. Yeah, we knew we knew this was we knew this was basically what it was going to be. Yeah. Right. You know, I I I, because it's where the courts were were uh, were leaning, mm-hmm. and I do. I mean, I think it's a very interesting debate that we've had for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Sure, you know that uh, you know that uh, eighteen or or twenty one, um, and it varies. Well, I think everybody. I think every state has a drinking age of twenty one now. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I don't believe. Yeah. I don't know of anyone that's eighteen, and it was eighteen when I was growing up. Mm. So, you you look at that and say, "How does what what is the and and what is the legal exception for drinking?" That you know, if you can own a gun, if you can own a gun at eighteen, if you can, you know, be drafted, you know, drafted. Or, if we had a draft, yeah. If we had a draft, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm using that from the fact that that uh, you know we we still. We can still have a draft, right? Because yep. you, you know, yep. and and so, but you can be in the military at eighteen. Mm-hmm. You can vote at eighteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many things. You know, what's the exception that twenty one gives? What's the legal federal ex- uh, exemption 
that you get for drinking to 21. Well, if you look at that, it, it is really for for anyone who is 18, that is the legal age of emancipation, right? Yeah. Um, that is where you become legally liable for certain things. You can make decisions. that, And, and we've set that line there for the longest time. Um, moving it to 21 changes things drastically because you're saying, well, they don't get these rights, but they get these rights. That we believe it's okay to draft them if we, if we have a draft in place, we can draft them at the age of 18. We believe that they're trainable and that it's okay for them to be trained and sent to war. But they shouldn't be able to own a gun until they're 21. Well, that's ludicrous. Now, some might tell you, okay, we shouldn't have a draft until the age of 21. If we were, if we were in a situation where there was a, a draft uh, that was necessary, where the government thought that we needed another draft, then it just simply doesn't work that way. But we know that the ultimate cutoff for everything is 21. Yes. Because you can't. I don't believe in any state you can say, all right, people under the age of 25 can't drink. Right. Mm-hmm. So so what's the – I would love to see just the legal precedent uh, between what the federal government dictates and how they view it legally and what the precedent is and then compare it to the 50 states and their state laws – of how they justify it. Right. That'd be interesting to see. Right. Yeah. And take a little bit of research to, to do, a lot of research to do, in fact, to go yeah. through all the different well, court the, cases yeah. over the years. Sure. And and it changes. You know, it varies by yeah. the person. Uh, it varies by, uh, you know, the environment in which they grow up. You know, they you could I think you could sit all day and have this discussion. Oh, you mean for the, indiv- not the legalities, but right. the individual. Right. Whether right. They In terms of, it. yeah, if you were well, to try and break it down as to, okay, where should it be? Well, with uh, with uh, closing in on half the people living with their parents, even up to age 34, yeah. I mean, we could definitely have fun with this topic. <laughs> well, that age of, uh, you know, the era of, man, I can't wait to move out, that's gone. I can't wait to move back in. I don't want to be an adult. <laughs> That's gone. I don't want to have any responsibility. Exactly. Take it all away. I, 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 everything's fine. Feed me. Clothe it's fine. me. It's fine. Eight six six ninety red eye Get in touch with Red Eye Radio. Toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up following the top of uh, the hour, Jim Jordan says an FBI agent lied under oath to Congress about knowledge of Hunter Biden's laptop and talks with uh, Facebook. And you look at the documents compared to what the FBI agent said, it looks pretty slam dunk. Yeah. If you, if, if you right. look at it, we'll get to right. that coming up here. Plus, 
the uh, the Democrats and the media's abortion uh, problem. Mm. You saw mm. the uh, one. Uh, it was a dash of Burns from NBC tried to fact check DeSantis. Yeah, on where right. the yeah. Democrats stand on abortion. Right. Oh man, he got burned big time. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Welcome and good morning. Thanks so much for being here. Download our Red Eye Radio app and listen when and where you choose. You know, it's interesting. This relates to something that you and I talked about yesterday off the air, not on the air. But a growing number of Americans face the prospect of retiring without a penny in savings. Only one in 10 low-income workers between the ages of 51 to 64 had any funds put away for retirement in 2019. Wow. Compared with one in five in 2007 prior to the Great Recession, according to a recent analysis by the U.S. Government Accountability Office, those workers have medium earnings of about 19000 annually. Noted the study, which examined... Uh, data from the Federal Reserve Survey of Consumer Finance and uh, other sources. That's a stunning reversal for millions of households during a 12-year period. Uh, while poor workers lost ground, high-income Americans who earn about $282,000 per year enjoyed a surge in their median retirement assets, which almost doubled to 605000 during that same period, the GAO found. You know, it's interesting because you and I were talking yesterday about uh, at the end of this year, is it, or next year? At the end of this year, at starting end, in uh, January of 24. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I didn't know it, you know, and I, I, we're both in that catch-up period of of uh, 401K. The catch-up ends uh, for, what is it, what was it, 100, was it? 145000 Anyone making right. uh, more than $145,000 a year? Yes. For the previous year, we'll not be able to uh, do the catch-up catch of up. 70. Right now, it's 7,500. Right. Uh, what they're saying is you can put that same amount, that 7,500, into a Roth 401k. But what's not clear at this point is are you going to require all employers to offer a Roth 401k? It seems like that's what's in the law. That's that's that, from what I gather that, it is. That if you offer a 401k, mm-hmm. now you don't have to offer 401k. Mm-mm. But if you do offer a 401k, you also have to o- offer a Roth. Right. Uh, for anybody who wishes to use that for catch-up uh, if they make over $144,000, whatever it is, right, right. Uh, a year. Now, $145,000 a year. Maybe a lot 
in rural Texas. It's mm-hmm. not a lot in California. No. No, it's not. In a big city in California, it's not a lot of money. And the idea of that catch-up amount uh, for those over 50 was exactly that, to be able to, if they weren't able to uh, before, uh, to every year add more to their 401K so they could be had a greater chance at that uh, financial stability by the time they reach retirement age. Right. Now, you can still do the Roth, but you have to pay the taxes. Right. It's not pre-tax. Right. It's not pre-tax. So that's the difference. Now, when you take it out, when when you actually wish to take it, you're not taxed. Right. Which a lot of financial advisors will tell you, no, that's the way to, to do it. Um, right. And uh, there are uh, like, an, like a Roth IRA has its limitations based on income as well. So I'd have to go back and look at the rules of Roth IRA. I think someone making 145000 let's say 150000 above that threshold, uh, it, I think they are not at this point eligible for a Roth IRA, but they would be eligible for the Roth 401k. Now, the question is, what I don't know is, is that the limit? In other words, the catch-up amount this year's seventy-five hundred. Uh, my research told me that the catch-up amount next year wasn't going to change, but that's that's because of what I found, and that is there really is no catch-up uh, for a lot of people. But it wasn't going to change for those making less than one hundred and forty-five thousand either. So now, the, and, and it, we don't know whether the Roth limitation is seventy five hundred. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. So I don't know if you can put more into that, or you can only put up to that catch up amount into that, and that is the exception. They allow people making over one hundred and forty five thousand uh, to put into a Roth four hundred one k. I look again. A lot of financial advisors would tell you. You have to assume that taxes are going to go up, but with a Roth 401k, and it has to be, I believe they made the point, it has to be an employer-based Roth 401k. So you yeah, couldn't... Yeah, that's what it seemed yeah, like yeah. we read yesterday. And, yes. and I, I think they all are. I think when it comes to 401ks, I could be wrong about that. It, it, it could There could be some contractors out there that, uh, own their own business that might qualify for a Roth 401k. I'd have to look that up. But but the law that, that uh, is going to change everything that when it goes into effect January 1st on the catch-up for those making above 145000 uh is uh, from everything that I've read, it has to be an employer offer. Well, we know companies are complaining and petitioning the government yeah. to move it back two years because... Right. Companies don't have the don't have the resources and time to make that to make the switch because right. if they're if they're you know if they've got the four hundred one k then they would have to add from what it seems like if you're offering the four hundred one k then you have to offer the Roth for anybody who in your company might be making over one hundred forty five thousand open uh, enrollment for for most companies is going to happen in a, in about sixty days. Yep, and it is not easy for HR and uh, and payroll and uh, your systems analysts and and managers who have to manage all of that to just do that transition to that. You may say to yourself, "Well, 
it's only a handful of people likely in any group that are going to be affected by this, even those over 50. Many of them may not have been playing catch-up, but it doesn't matter. You still have to set it up so that if any of those that are that qualify uh, uh, ask to do that, they choose to do that, then you have to have that available to them. So your 401k administrator, uh, your your HR, uh, your HRIS, which is the uh, uh, Human Resources Information uh, System, and 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 the people that manage those and payroll, all of that has to be done, and it has to be, of course, compliant. I mean, for them, compliance is everything. So that costs uh, a ton of money, and it requires time in order to get uh, to make sure that they're going to be compliant because those elections that are made during open enrollment, which is coming up in a couple of months, that's going to apply. And then, you know, you can't just, again, assume that any company can quickly make uh, those um, those changes. But right now it hasn't changed and they'll have to in order to be compliant. And a beauty of the traditional 401k is, uh, again, people acting in their own self-interest, which their own self-interest is, okay, I may not have this money, but I, you know, as as I move up and become a, because you see a lot of people that don't enter, you know, don't even get their 401ks till they're in their 30s. Yeah, right. You know, they'll start in the 30s or their 40s, mm-hmm. and that's when they're making more money, and they realize the tax benefits of taking out the 401k, and then on top of that, with the catch-up, you look at it and you think there's a significant savings right now, and the hope is that by the time you retire, you're not going to be in that same income bracket, right? And and so you'll be paying less in taxes. The Roth, uh, you pay. This is there is no, um, uh, what do they call it? pre? Um, there's no pre-tax. It's, yeah, there, it's yeah. not a pre-tax. There are no yeah. pre-tax benefits. Yeah, there's no pre-tax benefits. You just don't pay any taxes. When it's done. Now, the federal government wants their money. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. They want their, that's why you have the mandatory distribution, which I believe now has been pushed back to 73. Yes. Uh, Yeah. It's been pushed back to 73. Mm -hmm. But that means the the government, they're losing tax dollars because in a normal 401k, when you start the distribution, that is added on to you know, whatever your income is and you're taxed, you know, you're taxed on that depending on, you know, what you fully make, you know, and what the, the tax, what the taxes are at that time. So, you know, I think that what they're looking at is, okay, where can, where can we make some money? And we can make some money because who's actually playing catch up people that make a better living, which means their tax rate is higher and so you want that tax on that seventy five hundred that they're currently getting. Now with the Roth, you pay taxes up front, you don't pay when you take it out, and also you're not under from what you told me yesterday, there is no mandatory distribution. Because a mandatory distribution exists where you have to start taking out a certain percentage. There's a set amount you've got to take out yeah. of your four oh one K. Right that's set up by the government, whatever the percentage is and what your lifespan is, but they figure that out for you. 
And so you got to take out this chunk of money and then you're taxed on it. And so that's why mandatory distribution happens. They want that money. They want that tax uh, money. They don't care. There's no mandatory distribution if you have a Roth 401k because it doesn't matter to the government. They're not getting anything out of it at the right. back end they, anyway. They've already gotten their taxes out of it. Right. They've got out of it. So that's, that's, you know, that's really interesting. So, yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that's. There, there were going to be some changes, no doubt. I think that's the first of many changes, though, coming uh, on, you know, on on the tax front. Uh, I think they said the average tax savings would be uh, like sixteen hundred dollars, uh, or or the uh, deduction, not credit, the deduction, the average. Deduction, not tax savings, but deduction would be roughly sixteen hundred dollars. So that would be, you know, again, um, you know, if that if that is the case, then they see that as and and we've known this from where the left has gone on a number of moves. They want to chip away at at any of these tax benefits for anyone, and the idea of the catch up is to is so that for those. That look at it, they say, I want to be responsible for me. I don't want to rely on anybody else when I reach retirement age. That should be encouraged. It's the reason that the law came about. It's the reason we changed tax code for it. So that we could have fewer people at retirement age that needed government assistance or or anything else. Now, I do think on the FICA limit, I think they're going to, you know, at some point, they're going to lift that cap. I don't know when that's going to be, but that's these are things that they're looking at because they are going to look at, again, they look at it, anybody making over $145,000 a year is rich. They're wealthy. No matter where you live. Exactly. And that's not true. It's definitely a good living, but if you live in San Francisco, it's not. And if you're at that age, when you're, you're putting a chunk of it away, look, this is where you have people that are at that age that look at it and say, I can no longer afford to stay in San Francisco or California. I have to leave. And, and you look at it as people start getting older and you look at the savings amount that just isn't there for people in their, in their, in their 50s. Yeah. that you're, you're almost forced to move. Right. And right. think about that. Think about the number of baby boomers and Generation X that there are. Yeah. You know, that are, that are heading to that age that are saying, we, can't, we cannot afford to retire in California or Illinois or New York. We just can't afford to do it. Yeah. And uh, so, one, by the way, there's one source here that I found that says that Roth 401k accounts are subject to the same required minimum distribution rules that apply to traditional 401k accounts. Um, but obviously, the benefit would be still that you're not paying taxes on it. And so if it comes out at that, let's say you have a, a huge chunk. And I know one financial advisor uh, used uh, one example and 
this person that every year was having to take out a pretty large sum because they had built their 401k over the years and it was over $4 million. And then uh, she became a widow. So she was single paying this huge tax on, you know, the, and because this financial advisor was advising that you put everything into Roth if you can, whatever you can put into Roth, put it into Roth because you're going to pay taxes on it later. And you may be in a, in a massive tax bracket by the rules. No, of Roth, you distribution. Pay, Roth, you won't pay it later. You said you will pay it later. Yeah, you won't pay it through Roth, but you're going to pay right. it. Yeah, you're right. going to pay it later. That's what I'm saying. You're going to pay it when you when you're 75. If you do all the right things, which this person did and has over four million dollars and she did the math on it and said this person is in the uh, over 30 percent tax bracket by the minimum distribution because you're paying on right. it, you're paying those taxes now and forever. So yeah. you're going to you're going to pay it all at, you know, and so, you know, that was the advice given there. I wonder if they're going to try and delay this or be successful at delaying this two years. I guess we'll find out. 86690 Red Eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. Friday Radio. He is Eric Hurley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. So we're just now you and I <laughs> doing all the facts and figures well, of 401ks and Roth and well, everything else with with the changes coming. It's, here's here's the thing too. There's a five year rule on a Roth 401k, so you can't individuals have to have the Roth 401k for at least five years before you start taking distributions from it. They can't tax you on it, but they can penalize. So for those that are in that age group that they're getting close within that five years, they really don't have any options if they've been playing catch-up with their 401k. I mean, you could take the money. You don't have to put it into a Roth 401k. You could put it into something else. You could put it into an investment portfolio, but um, that's interesting that I would have to look and see if there's an exemption on the five-year thing. Because as it stands right now, Roth 401k has a five-year rule. has to be in place for five years, and of course you have to be at least 59 and a half to start that distribution. What a mess. Seriously. Well, is that only if you haven't started? Okay, you, you have to be fifty nine. But what if you're what if you're sixty five, and you're forced to go into the Roth? Not forced, but you're you've put in a you've you've done whatever it is twenty. Mm-hmm. It was like thirty thousand next year is what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, twenty two five for normal four hundred one k, and then 
you can't do ketchup anymore unless right. you put it into a Roth 401k. Right. Then you have to wait five years before, before you can get a distribution from that Roth account. You, so yeah. you can't touch that money for five years. For five even, years, even if they're retired, unless wow. they impose some kind of exemption for those affected by the new law. to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. So here's the problem that we've always stated about the Democrats and, uh, and abortion, and it involves an interview that DeSantis did with NBC. While interviewing Ron DeSantis, this is from National Review, NBC's Dasha Burns falsely claimed the Democrats don't back a right to abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. Wow. We have covered this in depth on yeah. the show. Yeah. And yes, they do. In a new interview with Ron DeSantis, the NBC reporter badly botched an attempted real-time fact-check of the Florida governor's claim that Democrats are pushing for abortion to be legal until birth. Uh, Burns called out uh, DeS- uh, uh, called DeSantis's claim a misrepresentation and asserted that there's no indication of Democrats pushing for that, but in fact nearly every Democrat in Congress has voted for legislation that would effectively impose a nationwide policy of abortion on demand throughout all nine months of pregnancy. You and I have gone through that. When these pieces of legislation has been voted on by Democrats, yeah, and one here in the last year, yeah. I believe. Mm-hmm. DeSantis said, I would not allow a lot of what the left wants to do, which is to override pro-life protections throughout the country all the way up, really until the moment of birth in some instances, which I think is infanticide. Uh, Burns says, well, actually, I got to push back on that because that's a misrepresentation of what's happening. I mean, 1.3% of abortions happen at 21 weeks or higher. There's no evidence Democrats pushing for abortions up until... And then DeSantis interrupts. Their view is that all the way uh, in into that, that there should not be any legal protections. Burns, there's no indication that Democrats are pushing for that. Yes, they are. Absolutely are. We've, we've spent so much time on that. The fact is they have to. Right, because they don't want to put any limitations from their perspective, on abortion. Yeah, when I say they which have means, to, I'm, I'm talking about their, from yeah, their point of view. In order to essentially comply with the agenda, yes, it has to go all the way up until birth. And it has to because, as they have, they can never say it's a life inside the womb. That's why. Right. Because if they come out and say after the second trimester no abortions, it kills their main argument, it's my body, and I can do what I want. Right. And that's a discussion that I've had with every single pro-life person since the Dodds decision last year, around this time, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. 
right around this time when mm. that came out. Mm. Every single, and I'll say every single woman who that was the first thing out of their mouth was stay away from my body. And I went, oh, then you believe in abortion till birth. Well, no, 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 no. So you think there should be a law to stop it before that? Well, yeah. Well, then it's not about your body. What are you talking about? You just said it's your body. You can do whatever you want. But after what? The second trimester? Yeah, you believe the government should outlaw it at that point. And then I would get the response, well, unless it's a rape or incest. Hmm. And I said, but you believe then while the baby is in the womb, it becomes a, life. a, a human being. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Well, then it's not about your body. You're saying it's about your body until the fetus becomes, in your opinion, uh, you know, in your opinion, a human being. And so that human being at that point supersedes what you wish to do or not wish to do with your body. Oh, wasn't good. No. I mean, almost it was almost identical with, and I'm talking about this is up north or down south. doesn't matter where I am. The opinion is, well, yeah, you got to do something to protect. I said, I don't have to do anything. I'm simply telling you, you know, you stated something. This is where the Supreme Court said, Look, you can't even decide it. Look how flustered you're getting. You can't decide it. Mm -hmm. And you want Supreme Court justices to decide it. And they're saying, we don't get to decide life. You do. Do your elected representatives. So actually what they did, the, the Supreme Court of the United States did not. What they said was the Supreme Court before was wrong in Roe v. Wade. They were wrong because you make the decision, not a bunch of judges. Right. And uh, it was interesting when I explained it that way, because none of these were one-to-one conversations. They were like five-on-one conversations mm. at, at a couple of points. And the and, and even a lot more people listening, you saw a lot of people shaking their heads going, you, you know, He's got you. And one woman, the first woman I talked to said, "That's those are really good points. Those are really good points. Well, because at some point you did, you're saying that the the life begins here in the womb, wherever that is. Otherwise, you're saying abortion until birth. It's one right. or the other. And so in this, uh, the NBC reporter understands the American public is not behind that. So she just has to pretend that Democrats yeah. aren't behind right. it. Right. Yet they are. And as a National Review here, first Burns pointed to the fact that 1.3% of abortions happen at 21 weeks or later, but 1.3% of 930,000 total abortions still equals 12,000 unique human beings killed each year at 21 weeks or later. Yeah. When babies are capable of feeling pain and sometimes capable of surviving outside the womb. There have been fewer than 12,000 total gun homicides in the United States each year. Burns, in an attempt to minimize the horror of late-term abortion, actually ended up agreeing that late-term abortion do, in fact, happen in the United States. Right. The relevant question, then, is whether Democrats think those abortions should be legal throughout all nine months of pregnancy, and the answer is yes. 
Several Democratic senators, Fetterman, Sanders, Ben Cardin, openly admit they oppose any legal limits on abortion at any point of pregnancy, which is the position of a majority of Democratic voters based on the polling. Yep. At least some blue states, such as Colorado, explicitly allow abortions through all nine months of uh, uh, pregnancy. And we know that the last time the Democrats had a vote on it, it was almost unanimous. Uh, let me see here. Um, this comes from, this is National Review. Uh, many more blue states, Maryland, a good example, effectively have the same policy as Colorado because of brand or broad exceptions allowing late-term abortions for reasons of mental health. In 2022, every Democrat in Congress, except for two, voted for a federal bill that would create a national right to post-viability abortions whenever a lone health care provider determines it is necessary to protect the mother's mental health. Mm -hmm. Uh, both uh, Joe Biden and Barack Obama once acknowledged a mental health exception would be a loophole that swallowed up uh, that uh, swallowed up a prohibition on late term abortion. Washington Post fact checker acknowledged that in reality, abortion is legal in many European countries beyond the first trimester because those countries first trimester limits include mental health exceptions for abortions later in the pregnancy. Surely the logic must also apply to federal legislation backed almost unanimously by congressional Democrats. So, yeah, they have a uh, strong recent record of it. And to say that they don't, that's not a mischaracterization by the governor of Florida. Yeah, No, they, they have to, as we said. Otherwise, you admit that you throw out the number one argument that the left has used for abortions. Mm-hmm. It's my body. Right. It's not yours. Right. Well, if you don't believe in abortion until birth, then it isn't about your body at a right. certain point right. when the fetus becomes a human being, right. which, again, America can't decide when that happens. So if it keeps moving in the other direction, will you agree with it? And what's your definition of a human being? Well, you should see the looks I got when I asked that one. Why do you believe that after the second trimester it's a human being? Those are questions that they don't want. You know what it's like? They don't want, they just want what they want. They don't want to justify it in their head. Well, they're repeating a chant that they've been getting away with for decades. It's the woman's body. Right. It's my body. I can do whatever I want. But when, when the far left took it all the way up to birth, That changed everything. Mm -hmm. And this is where we are. And then I had uh, one, well, but but then, you know, women shouldn't have to go through this. Mm. So then women should, you know, so you're saying that some women should be able to, you know, the mental health thing? Yeah. Well, then because of a woman's mental health, uh, whoever makes that judgment because of the w- women's mental health, you should be able to kill a, another human life. Right. Whoa. Those are tough questions. 
nobody on the left wishes to deal because with because if the there tough is questions. no concern if there is no question about the mental health then you're drawing the line and saying then the baby is is a life at this point right so the baby is a life but inside the womb the mental health exactly but the mental health of the mother supersedes the right to life of the child that's what you're saying and what determines the mental health right what's the criteria there right an inconvenience can abortion doctors just say no mental health and write it on the form and then all of a sudden it qualifies yeah is there a process that's a loophole the left including biden and barack obama have talked about for years because that's the loophole that they want to get away with Yeah, that was really, that was interesting yesterday. Mm. But you see how sensitive she was to it. Yeah. Because they know that's a weak spot for them. Oh, yeah. And the only thing holding together the left for the longest time has been abortion. Yep. Yeah. And probably what held them together last November. Yeah. Was was abortion. Right. That starts, and that's, and it's slowly going away for them. And it's that reason and the reason that birth control is so widely available these days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, and and they couldn't, they wanted it to, to remain as, as one of the, if you think about it, the very um, foundation of political footballs. That's what that has been for them. Since Roe v. Wade. And now they can't just repeat the chant. They can't just show up at a protest and shout, it's my body. Unless they're saying abortion until birth. 86690 Red Eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. Coming up, hmm? there's been a lawsuit to file to block the Biden administration's plan to cancel $39 billion in student loans. What are they going to challenge uh, on that? Uh, we will get uh, to uh, uh, that here in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> it's starting. You know, we've got the uh, – when is the uh, – the, the first uh, debate's coming up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, I think Pence went after uh, Trump for you know, saying he's not going to probably be showing up, mm-hmm. went after him. And then DeSantis, and we said this about Trump when Trump attacked DeSantis on COVID and said things like Florida handled COVID worse than New York did. Yeah, right. We went, you need to be quiet on that because you're extremely vulnerable. And DeSantis pounded on him yesterday saying, mm-hmm. Trump funded the mail ballots with COVID spending bill and his FBI helped censor the Hunter Biden story. Mm. I mean, it's, so, I mean, is, it's, it's <laughs> this is how primary season works. That's how it works. Yeah. 
Everybody below Trump is going to punch up and it's not it's going to be relentless. I think from those two, especially that if either if any of them on the debate stage have a chance at doing any damage, it will be one of those two. Pence and and DeSantis. Now, the problem with Pence is, okay, if you think that he did something wrong, then why didn't you say something then, right? If we're going to go down the January 6th route or whatever it might be, that was during Trump's time in office, then Pence is going to have to be very careful how he approaches that. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Hello. How's everybody doing? Well, we came close yesterday in the state of Texas. Yeah? They were worried that there wasn't going to be enough wind. Oh. Yesterday. Wait, how? We've been having... No, the wind was down. Barely windy days. Yeah, but the wind was down yesterday. Yeah. Stupid and it's, wind. it's where it is in West Texas, really. I mean, that's we need to tax the wind when it's but yeah they, when it's not producing like we need it to. And I made on the social media yesterday that the the grid operators were concerned that there mm. wouldn't be enough wind, but they but they said it's going to be close, and there was no problem uh, yesterday. But it's supposed to it, again every year it's going to get worse, whether it's Texas or anywhere else, as they they shut down more traditional consistent plants and keep building it but mm-hmm. you know it was i just i love how when it initially when we started having the hot temperatures here because there was a concern you had well see it was a hot day and thank goodness for wind because wind is yeah. what kept ever it's like yeah. no 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 yeah, no 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 it's it's the opposite because what you're saying is if the wind isn't blowing we wouldn't be able to power texas for that day well, and there's plenty of summer days in my lifetime here in Texas that don't have any wind. They are miserable outside. Oh, and that was when I saw, and I saw yesterday because we were down to like three, four miles an hour here. And I went, mm. I wonder it's where, what it's going to be. And I started looking on social media and it was about noon, one o'clock when it started appearing. You know, And then yeah. I got from my provider, you know, please try to use, you know, conserve on electricity uh you know this afternoon that should never happen we should we should be especially in a growing state like texas we should have enough we're reserves a, for 20 25 percent more we're, we're a massive energy state yep none of this should ever be a question nope it shouldn't anywhere in the united states no be it. no it shouldn't be we choose this yeah we choose this we do you know, and I, I, I'm guessing a lot of people, uh, you know, look at it and go, yeah, well, that's not going to affect me. That's not going to affect me. And then you hit a situation like freeze apocalypse. 
Affected everybody. Affected everybody. Well, look, the biggest thing on that is the debt. It's not going to affect me. It's not really going to be yeah. a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, we said I, it- I, re- I remember a year ago, year and a half ago, mm. people were calling this going, you guys are really overblowing the uh, the, the, the debt in this country. Remember yeah. those calls? Yeah. We would get oh, those. Yeah. They don't call anymore. No. Why? Inflation. You know, there was a, let me just see if I can find it here. So I, I was just, I was reading the story where, um, uh, here, here it is. It's just like, Okay, it hasn't worked the last month. Let's do it again. Reuters, Biden revs up economy pitch after a week of silence on Trump and week of silence on himself. <laughs> yeah. It's like President Joe Biden kicks off a visit to three western U.S. states on Monday as he aims to invigorate his reelection bid by highlighting recent economic gains and funding for new infrastructure projects. And it's not working. Yeah. It hasn't worked at all as he has gone out and talked about Bidenomics. In fact, you and I, when he started calling it Bidenomics, we said, if we were his political consultants, we would say, don't do that. Well, no, but everything, no, everything isn't great. Inflation. Doesn't matter what the unemployment rate is. Nobody cares. No. It it doesn't matter what the growth rate is nobody cares what they care about is the fact and you and i've stated this for the longest time even worse than a recession what's worse than a recession inflation Inflation. because in a recession you may be out of work for six months to a year and you get unemployment whatever but you always have hope of getting a second job and unemployment you know or when we have a recession you might have 10% 10% employment, which means 90% of the people are still working. Mm-hmm. Well, when you have 98% of the people all working or 97% of the people all working, and that's not enough because of inflation, and they have to get another part-time job, and that's still not enough, there is no hope. There is nowhere to go. No. And that's where we are right now in the United States. And I think it was a... Was there a column that was uh, Washington, I think Washington Examiner uh, had a column uh, uh, on it, which was, you know, saying, look, it's 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 the inflation. Yeah. And and yeah. not just inflation, but it's the 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 mandates. He said Americans understand that the price of an automobile is going up because of EVs. Yep. Yep. The average the average vehicle now is $50,000. Well, Pe- people can't afford to buy cars anymore. And why is that? Inflation. Inflation. And the and the cost of money, of course, with interest rates going up. Yeah. But the base cost of a car skyrocketing. Here it is, Washington Examiner. Uh, and it says, why voters aren't buying Bidenomics? One hint can be found in the most recent CBS News poll, which found 65% of adults would rate the economy as bad. 13% said things were getting better financially. Most adults, 52%, said they were just staying in place. 35%, they were falling behind. Among those that rated the economy bad, 88% blamed inflation and the rising cost of goods and services. Indeed, among all respondents, even those who rated the economy as good, 
70% of adults said that their personal income was not keeping up with inflation. And this perception is reflected in economic numbers. Despite falling inflation, actually falling inflation rate, despite falling inflation, prices are still rising and overall real wages are down five, still down 5% since Biden took office. In other words, most voters are functionally making less money today than when Biden took office. No wonder most people think the economy is still bad. The other consequence of inflation is uh, that voters correctly blame Biden for causing astronomically high interest rates not seen since the 1970s. This has made homeownership completely unaffordable for young couples looking to start a family. Worse, higher interest rates have contributed to high, record high consumer debt. People now owe a record high $17 trillion, including almost $1 trillion in credit card debt alone. That number is shut up by almost 20% since last year. More than a third of adults now have more credit card debt than emergency savings. An economic predicament not seen since the Great Recession. Again, young adults have been hit hardest with credit card delinquencies now up to 8.3% for adults under 30. With voters looking at falling wages and rising debts, no wonder most people aren't buying Biden's rosy economic spin. According to a new NPR poll, while 72% of of Republicans believe economic growth is more important than climate change, 80% of Democrats believe the opposite. Biden is 100% beholden to those Democrats who want to sacrifice their economic well-being at the altar of environmentalism. You can see this preference play out in all of Biden's economic policies, including the new emissions standards released by Biden's Environmental Protection Agency last week. The new standards are so stringent that car manufacturers will be forced to make far more expensive electric vehicles and far fewer cheaper combustion engines. The average price of a new car is already unaffordable at $50,000, and these new regulations will only drive that price higher. Voters know exactly what is driving up the cost of cars and making it impossible for them to attain the lifestyle their parents had. Bidenomics. No wonder most voters still say Biden is handling the economy poor. As we said, the economy is how you're doing personally. And the cost of goods and services and the things that you can afford. And now you've got a considerable number of people out there. How many? I don't know. I don't think this has been polled. Hmm. You can't afford a house. Right. And you don't see in the future that you can afford a house. And you sit there and look and you see what it would cost and how long you would have to have a loan and what you would have to pay in interest for a loan on a car for eight years. That that does not increase consumer confidence yeah and that's where we are right now yep and and that's a problem you know one of the things that's going on right now there's it's not just uh the rise in crime but the cost of living we talked earlier about california again at some point you can't afford to stay i remember going back uh, this goes back before covid a colleague of ours talking about living in California his whole life and he said it's just enormously expensive and he was about to retire and he said I I'm not going to be able to live here 
in retirement. Those are the things that that don't change overnight. Cost of living isn't going to go down in California. And so you really have no choice. And these are the things you look at, you know, when when we talk about uh, inflation. Well, there's not going to be a deflation. The prices of most things aren't going to just come down unless we hit a massive recession or went into another depression. Which isn't likely, but what does that mean? That means the cost of living on every level for everyone. These prices, these higher prices are here to stay. It's what they call, and I hate the phrase, the new normal. Not on everything, but on many things. Uh, I was talking to a family member uh, just over the weekend about the whole shrinkflation thing, the offerings Mm -hmm. from restaurants and not just restaurants. I mean, it's what you buy in stores and everything else. And here's the offering. Well, wait a minute. Where's the big, huge box of cereal I used to buy? Uh, We don't offer that anymore. Because the price point has changed. You know, retailers like Walmart know what the price point is for their average customer. They know what their average customer is willing to pay for any given item. And so what do you do? Well, the only thing you can do is even on their store brand things, you have to either raise the price slowly or you have to change the amount that you're offering for the same money. Those price points don't fluctuate a lot, but people had to get used to shopping with basically their money going, you know, a lot, a lot less uh, to a lot less. That cart now is a lot smaller. Uh, July inflation numbers come out this week. It'll be interesting to see where the core inflation is. 86690 Red Eye. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at JJ Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on roadside inspections. Once a roadside inspection is completed, the officer will close it out, which involves the officer writing or typing up the report. The more the officer found during the inspection, the longer this will take. If violations were discovered, most officers, as a courtesy, will explain the violations to the driver. If there were any out-of-service violations, the officer will normally explain what must be done to get the out-of-service order lifted. Drivers need to be very attentive during this part of the inspection. The driver also needs to read and understand the complete inspection report. After receiving the inspection report, the driver has 24 hours to get the roadside inspection report to the motor carrier. If the driver will not be returning to a company facility within the next 24 hours, the driver needs to know to get it on the way to you via email, mail, or fax within 24 hours. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. Just looking at uh, this 
uh, is from uh, Newsweek, uh, written by Justin Haskins, editorial director from the think tank, the Heartland Institute. Bidenomics is heading towards a crash. The latest housing data could not make that clear. And uh, talks about the fact of, you know, Biden out there again. He's out there, uh, again, promoting the economy. Bidenomics, which hasn't worked. Mm. And talking about the 13 million new jobs, 800,000 new manufacturing jobs. Again, that's completely and totally exaggerated because what that is is when he got into office in January of 21, that's when people started going back to work. This is basically people out of work because of COVID and then coming back to work. Mm. It's not because of an increase in growth. It was because of the loss of so many jobs that people were off work for a significant period of time, and then they came back in again, and everybody knows that. says, uh, even more important, however, is that Biden's failed to acknowledge the growing amount of economic data signaling the country could soon enter an economic recession, one of the most overlooked and reliable indicators, housing data suggests an emerging recession could end up becoming the largest in six decades from the fourth quarter of 2020 to the fourth quarter of 2022. U.S. housing market experienced one of the most significant increases in housing prices in American history, up 36%. For the first time in history, the 12-month increase in home prices topped 15% for seven quarters in a row beginning the second quarter of 2021. Many current homeowners celebrated the unprecedented rise in uh, housing values, but those rapid increases came with an important caveat. Whenever housing prices increase as quickly as they have in recent years, an economic stock market and or housing crash is almost certain to follow. The evidence on this point is well established in the 70s, late 80s, and early to mid-2000s. There were uh, large sustained growth in housing prices. In every case, a large recession followed, although the rule doesn't always apply perfectly it tends to be that the bigger the increase in housing prices, the harder the economy falls. One reason for the correlation between the swift growth, growth, excuse me, growth in housing prices and recessions is that housing prices can be a good indicator of an overheating economy in need of correction. Another is that historically, when housing prices move upward too quickly, the Federal Reserve often raises interest rates, slowing overall economic growth. The scenario that's occurring now as the American Central Bank seeks to curb historically high inflation. Of course, if this theory holds true, it would mean that Americans could soon experience an unprecedented drop in housing prices and perhaps equally large recession to follow if past performance is illustrative of the kind of economic crash we can expect. The upcoming recession could be the largest in more than a half century. Unfortunately, the latest housing data seem to point in that troubling direction, In the first quarter of 2023, housing prices declined by 8.56% compared to prices in the fourth quarter of 2022. That's the largest single quarter decrease since at least 1963. Wow. Hmm. The uh, sales data recorded for the second quarter of 2023 shows prices decreasing even further by $10,200 per home sold or about 2% compared to the previous quarter. You know, I, I my housing prices went down, but really this year it's gone back up again here in Texas. Yeah, it's uh, it it had inflated greatly. Uh, it came down uh, to where it was before, and then all of a sudden, slowly went right back up. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with you know everything that's going on around here. There's still a healthy demand for houses. 
around here. But if you get into recession territory, you know, and and I don't know how you don't get there. With housing costs, the cost of vehicles, the cost of borrowing, I don't know how you don't get there. I don't know what keeps us from getting into a recession. The question is, when would that hit? I have a question coming up on right. the bottom of the hour here. to democracy if you don't download our app, Red Eye Radio. It's my radio. He is Eric Hurley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. You know, I, I started thinking, I said I had a question um, when we when we look at the, the economy. Are we at, are we at the point and 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 I don't know. Um, I I don't know what the we the I don't know what the answer is. But so it's, I'm doing it in the form of a question: Are we at the point now where there is such a difference in the economy of states where we will at some point in the future? not talk about the economic growth of the country, but of states and regions. Because in my lifetime, you know, we, we've talked about how, and, and we'll, use, we'll use, for example, the, uh, the, 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 the big states, uh, New York, Illinois, and California. And I'm looking at the last GDP uh, percent change in annual rate. Uh, California for the first quarter, 1.2% growth. Uh, Illinois, 0.2% growth. New York, 1.3% growth. And then use the other two big states that are normally used, Texas and Florida. Texas with 3% growth and Florida with 3.5% growth. So you're talking about a growth rate 25 to 3 times uh, in some cases, if you look at Illinois, a, a, a lot, a lot greater. Now it's only for a quarter. That's only, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to make a point. I'm not. I am. It's not the be all end all. Looking at a a quarter of a year GDP growth, that would be unfair to do. Mm-hmm. But are we at the point where these states like New York, Illinois, and California, where the problems are so bad, so incredibly bad, that they're not going to recover anytime soon. That you're talking about something uh, that will last for decades. And I say this partly on what you have said. Are any of these states going to all of a sudden change because of all the insanity going on in California? They're going to change? Is, no. is San Francisco really going to change? No. Is Chicago really going to change? No. 
is New York really going to change? So you're going to still have places where you can have economic growth, but the situation in California, New York, you look at New York, for example, and we'll just make the comparison to Florida. I don't know what it is to Texas, but I do know what it is to Florida, where the fact is that as they keep losing population, they still have twice the budget of a Florida that has more than that has more population than they do. That is going to have an effect in the long run. Businesses don't want to go to New York. If the choice is between New York or Florida, uh, they probably would choose Florida yeah, as as sure. many as many companies uh, have. Now, you will see, you know, you go through and you look at some of the other uh, uh, states out there uh, that had pretty growth, pretty good growth rate for the first quarter. Again, it's just the first quarter. But a lot of those states I'm using the big states because the big states, you know, a three percent growth in for Texas is monstrous compared to, for example, Montana saw a 6% GDP increase in the first quarter. All right. Mm-hmm. But Montana is so small compared to Texas that the monetary amount is huge in Texas mm-hmm. or huge in Florida when you look at, at the amount based on the pop, you know, based on the population uh, that, they, that they have. And I just wonder if we have gotten to the point where abstract has met reality. The abstract concepts of a welfare state are showing it doesn't work. Well, I, but, I think I think that it stands to reason that that at some point, because many of us have looked at it and said, well, those who are wealthier will just leave. But now it's it's anybody and everybody who can afford to get up and leave is gone. And it's not just the wealthy that are leaving. Middle class are leaving these areas. And so I don't know how you attract business back without some incentive. And how do you do that when the mob is standing there and will not allow that kind of behavior by their elected officials on the local and state level? That's not going to happen. You don't get away with that. So what do you do? Well, we continue to tax to death. We tax, tax. Well, who are you going to tax? You have to go after the lower and middle class because they're the only ones there. And there is no no turning that around in our lifetime because there is no political will to vote differently. You're not going to have California turn red. You're not going to have, I mean, we're with you. For, for those that are in Kern County, we understand. We know there are some. But it, the entire state, and you guys are putting up the good fight. But if, and, and so ultimately, what do you get to? The only, their only answer is to go for some kind of massive federal tax to bail uh, on these other states to bail out their states. Well, but you you look at a a Kern County. Now, I've never lived in California, but I lived in New York. Hmm. And if you live in New York, people are disgusted. If you live anywhere (laughs) east of New York City, Hmm. or should I say, uh, I guess we would say northeast of, of, uh, excuse me, northwest, not not northeast, northwest Hmm. of New York City, which is the rest of the state, 
uh, one of the major complaints is we have no power, we have no control, because all the population center is in New York City, and they control everything. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that we can do. And there is a hopelessness that exists there, which does drive people to leave. Does that exist, for example, in a current county? Does that exist in more of the rural areas in California that might be more conservative where they say it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter at all that we're conservative and we believe the state's going wrong. We cannot change the population power bases of Los Angeles and, you know, at, at, and San Francisco, mm. Silicon Valley. We can't. We just can't. We cannot compete against those population centers. They're going to win every single time. And there's a sense of hopelessness where people where people go. You see it in Oregon, where all these eastern, you know, counties and these kind of these rural counties in Oregon, and you know that one of the uh, privileges I had of living in Oregon is seeing you know, for example, where Portland has gone. From when I was simply there, I was there from 97 to 2000. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that you know, there was crazy stuff going on even back then, but it was limited to a small area of Portland, whatever, and and you knew the politics was, was more liberal. But even now, you know, in, in parts of, uh, of the, of, of the uh, you know, the liberal uh, strongholds there, it's just nuts where these – where people want to secede, they want out, and they don't want to be a part of Oregon anymore. They're trying to get into Idaho. Yeah, right. You know, it's like we just we cannot, we can't do this anymore. And that's the one thing that if you live in many of these rural areas, even in Illinois, when I lived in Illinois, rural areas of Illinois are very conservative, but you can't beat the power bases of the big cities. And there's a sense of hopelessness that sets in where people say, it's time for me to go. I like where I live. You know, that I like where I live. I like where I live. You know, if you live in a in a in a blue state that's, you know, very, very, uh, you know, uh, conservative, you're like, I like the mindset of where I live, but I can't get ahead because even though we are conservative, we don't control the state government and they control everything in what we do. I'm going to Texas. I'm going to Florida. I'm going to Nevada. I'm going somewhere. You know, I'm going somewhere where my money goes further and I don't have to live near a high crime area. You know, I look mm. at things like, you know, uh, how is you know North Dakota's growth rate for the first quarter? 12.4%. South Dakota, 10.1%. Nebraska, 12.3%. You know, you see some of that. And, you know, now normally, I mean, they may come down drastically. There may be, you know, very wide variations in a small state like that. But if you look at states that are smaller but still have regional, you know, medium-sized cities, is that going to be attractive for people? And 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 that's why I put this in the form of a question. Mm-hmm. But is it is there going to be a time when we look at economies and base them more on regions or states instead of the country as a whole? Because what is happening in Texas and Florida is completely different than what's happening in California, Illinois, and New York. Completely. Right. Right. And we use those five states because they're really the biggest, you know, because they have the, you know, some of the biggest population centers in the entire country. Mm-hmm. And so you look at that and you say, okay, uh, is that how we're going to be judging things 
from from now on. How much will California lose? The difference is now, and I guess the people in California probably could tell me this in business people, is there a hopelessness from CEOs that California isn't going to change and we're going to have to go? That there was always that hope that they're going to change, but has it gotten to that point and was COVID and the draconian lockdowns, mandates, and everything else in many of these states, was that the final straw? Well, It was for Elon Musk? Well, it, it ramped everything up to bring it to reality out of the abstract. And I think that's where in business it's like, well, we see the opportunity in New York City. We see the opportunity in California. And there would be great opportunity if not for the public policy of those states and cities. But is there a five-year plan for any company, big or small, we already see what's going on. You see the retailer saying, it's not safe for our customer. It's not safe for our employees. We can't stay. It's not going to be profitable long term. Why would you want to invest in any of those areas? And so the fact of the matter is, is then ultimately you have a point where you start to see a, I think, rapid decline in the economies of those areas. Because there will, we talk about, like, if you were to look at it, like uh, back in the day, we're old enough to remember malls, remember malls. <laughs> well, when you had a massive uh, a cornerstone retailer, one of the anchor stores, pull up and leave especially if that happened in a small or medium-sized town, you realized, well, the days are numbered for this for this shopping location. This space, this mall is going to be limited. Now, of course, if those retailers back then were like Sears, <laughs> who's pretty much gone now, and but you look at now the anchors, they're not in malls. They are these major retailers like CVS, like Walgreens, like Walmart. And they have their own standalone properties most often. And when that is the case, they have to make a decision. They have to make a decision based on the safety of the customers. Are law-abiding customers afraid of the smash and grabbers that come in there or people that hang out outside of that establishment. Are they afraid to go shopping there? Are they changing their habits as such? Because we haven't introduced the whole e-retail thing. Why would I ever venture out into a dangerous neighborhood if I can get Amazon to deliver it to my door? Those are the things that these businesses look at and say, we can't, if we can't have a five-year plan there that has real numbers behind it, real potential then we can't stay or we can't go we can't go to those locations and if we're in those locations we can't stay 866-90-RED-EYE get in touch with Red Eye Radio toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE
Red Eye Radio, he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Welcome and uh, good morning. You know, when you look at the GDP growth rate over the last couple of years, so, so much of it was actually perverted by the huge stimulus spending during yeah. COVID. Yeah, sure. And and again, that's one thing that we, when we talk about GDP, uh, GDP can be judged by the transfer of money. It's not necessarily the increase in wealth or increase in productivity and efficiency right. through services, new new services that are provided, which actually drive an economy. It's yeah, the efficiency, right. the productivity of the service industry and the the goods that you produce. And and so, but when you look at it, where's our optimism? Any company saying we want to open up in California or Illinois or New York? Right. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Hey guys, welcome to the Candy Valentino Show. I'm Candy Valentino. I was a founder before I could legally order a drink. And for more than two and a half decades, I've built, scaled, acquired, and exited multiple businesses in diverse industries. Now my goal is to help you by sharing the knowledge that I've learned, the mistakes that I've made, and the wisdom that I've developed over my journey. Bi-weekly episodes every Monday and Thursday. The Candy Valentino Show, wherever you listen. Every story eventually comes to an end. This June, hear the final episode of Season 2 of the hit podcast series, In the Red Clay, Durham. In the Red Clay tells the unbelievable true story of Billy Sunday Burt, the most dangerous man in Georgia history. In the podcast that people are calling riveting, incredibly moving, captivating, and addicting. Binge Seasons 1 and 2 of In the Red Clay now, wherever you listen. 